So who would mind reading tonight uh, Proverbs chapter 5, verses 1 through 13? Tom, you got that for me, buddy. Proverbs chapter 5. And Tom, I know that's kind of a lengthy text, but um, it's, it's going to be very important to kind of set up all we want to talk about. So whenever you're ready to serve. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding, that you may preserve discretion, and your lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lay hold of hell. Lest you ponder her path of life, her ways are unstable, you do not know them. Therefore hear me now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others, and your years to the cruel one. Lest aliens be filled with your wealth, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner, and you mourn at last, when your flesh and your body are consumed, and say, how I have hated instruction and my heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate that, sir. So, what we're going to talk about as we start here is this particular section. You don't have to answer, answer this out loud, but just think about it. We have plenty of time for some discussion tonight, but allow me just a couple of minutes to kind of just explain what's going on here in this text. Uh, what is this section about? Well, this section, these first 13 verses at least, are about protection. They're about protection, protecting yourself, whether you are a man or a woman, from the pitfall of immorality. Now, in the context, the text that Brother Tom read for us is Solomon speaking to his son. He's talking to his son. He's talking to his children. He's talking with him about the threat of immorality. Now, I do want to pose this question to you. Why is it interesting that Solomon is saying something about this? What makes him qualified outside of obviously being inspired by the Holy Spirit? We know that, but just thinking about his personal life, what makes him kind of qualified? Uh, He's overly to... qualified. Yes, yes, and what do you mean by that? Got a couple wives. You got a couple wives, of wives, wives, right? Yeah. Yeah, so he knows, he knows a little bit about... Right. Sleeping around, right? Yeah. Uh, having, having a bunch of different women. Not being very sexually pure. So I, Michelle's right on the money with that. I uh, think he had hundreds and hundreds of wives, like a thousand wives. So he does. Yeah, just. Sorry, it's also not unfathomable to think that his own father could have spoken to him about it. Okay, so I wrote both of your answers down. I wrote down, had a bunch of wives, and I wrote down. His parents, and I say parents, because who's his mother? His parents fell into this pit. Particularly his father, because his father's a very powerful man, and he specifically sent for Bathsheba. So I think you're right on the money with that, Jake. I think his father probably said some things to him about this also, because, and we'll study this next month uh, when we get to the lesson about David and Bathsheba, that is a pivotal moment in David's life. Everything is going good for David up to that point. 
And when you read 2 Samuel very carefully, you notice, you can't help but notice, uh, after that sin he committed with Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, that immorality, his life is never the same. It is never the same from then on. There is nothing but problems after problems that pop up into his life from then on. And so, yes, Solomon is inspired, but he also has some experience with his personally, as Michelle said, and also his parents. Particularly his father fell into this trap. And so I just want to say a few things about this, and then we'll have some discussion here. There's some things to notice from this text. What is Solomon teaching us here? Well, in verse number 3 of the text, I think what Solomon is saying there is immorality can be tempting. It can be a tempting thing. I mean, notice he talks about the adulteress has the li a lips that drip with honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. That's the idea of a temptation. It lures you in. And why does immorality lure people in? Well, let's just be honest about it. It's pleasurable. It's pleasurable. Sex is pleasurable. And not just that, but a lot of people get involved in this, who fall into this pit, think they're never going to get caught. And this doesn't just apply to people who get involved in affairs, full-blown affairs, but people who get involved in things like pornography and things like that, there is uh, some self-deception there a lot of times that I'll never get caught. And so that's another, that's another lure of immorality. And then for some people, they just don't think it's a big deal. I, I'm not hurting anybody. It's just me and this other person being affected by this. Or if it's pornography, it's just me uh, alone in the prophecy of my own home. No one knows about this. And so there's a lot of lures to this, to this pit. And then Solomon also talks about the consequences. I mean, it is luring. Sexual immorality is a luring temptation, but there are consequences. And in this context, if you notice, the consequences are really bad. He talks about sorrow. There's a lot of sorrow from this. A lot of people get hurt. You never get away with it. You know, you may be able to hide for a while, but God knows that's the most important thing. And a lot of times... Uh, he'll make it providentially so that other people know. And then Solomon mentions things like death. He tells his son that you can die from this. Well, how can you die? Well, what if you get caught by the other person's spouse? That can lead to death. And in our time today, you've got sexually transmitted diseases and a host of other things that can happen to you. And then, you know, he talks about Sheol. I think that's the idea of the grave. But even beyond that, you can lose your soul. You will lose your soul if you die in this sin. And so in verse 8 of the text, Solomon talks about avoiding it at all costs. Keep your way far from her, the immoral person, and do, go, do not go near the door of her house. Don't flirt with it. Don't lie to yourself. Don't deceive yourself. Don't act like you're the exception to the rule. Stay away from it. Guard against it. So I think that's a powerful text there, and we'll say some more about it in a few minutes from now because that's not the whole story there. There's some other things to look at. But let's talk a little bit about this now practically together. Guarding against immorality, all forms of immorality when it comes to your marriage. Let's talk about why we need to do that, how we do that, and the blessings that will come to us when we do that because we've emphasized this many times, the marriage relationship is a sacred relationship. God wants the marriage bed to be holy, to be pure. And so we need to spend at least this class talking about how to protect that, 
how to protect the holiness, the purity of our marriages, how we can help our young people do that for their future marriages, how we can put some fences up to keep the bad things out and keep this relationship the way God wants it to be. And so let's start with the how. There's a list of things there on pages, um, on the, I think pages 40 and 41, a lot of practical stuff there. Maybe there were some things that stood out to you there on, the, on, on those pages. But what are some things you that's on your mind here? Some, some practical things maybe you would put into play, maybe some things you noticed there in the lesson on pages 40 and 41 or so. What are some things, how do we protect the purity of the marriage relationship? Let's, let's, let's talk about this. Let's, let's get real practical here. I got several things I wrote down, but I'm just going to give you five once after I hear from you first. What are some things we can do to guard our marriages, keep them pure, put fences up? Anybody have any ideas here? Yes, Michelle. And then come to you next, Lisa. Date your spouse. Spend time together. Date your spouse. Mm -hmm. Well, I had five, now I got four. <laughs> because I wrote that down. I like that a lot. And Michelle, I even put it, um, I even put it like this. Romance. You know, I put down romance and the need to keep it high. And that can be hard. Why can it be hard? Now, it's not hard when you're dating, is it? When you're courting each other. I mean, when, you, when you're courting, when you're dating, you, you, you're doing all you can to be romantic. Why? Because you're trying to get this person. You're trying to see if this is the one. So you're... You're going the extra mile. You're buying the flowers, and you're opening up the door, and you're, you know, being real considerate of different things, being being real cautious of your appearance and how you're looking and things like that. Let's just be honest about it. But then you get married, and this seems to die for a lot of people. And I want to know why. Why does why is romance difficult for a lot of folks? Why can't it be difficult? Let me put it that way. To keep it at a high level, the same level it was at when you were trying, when you were dating each other and courting each other. What do y'all think about that? Yes, ma'am. You kind of get busy with like the mundane, like regular life stuff. Yeah. Like that's a great point. Shopping and kids. Your, li your list of to dos. Bills. You get yep. Tired and you're like, all right. Yeah, yeah. So that's good. So so life can get in the life can get in the way, right? So everyday life, your bills, your kids, uh, your your job, maybe you're in school, taking classes. So so that can't absolutely. Um, anybody else got something? Maybe one more answer. That's a good answer. I like that. Yes. They're not they're not new anymore. <laughs> you start taking them for granted. You take them for granted. They're not new anymore. Yeah, they're always going to be there. They're always going to be there. They're, they're, I've locked them up now. Yeah. Especially if they're Christians. Oh, there's Matthew 19. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> you know, Matthew 19 scares you to death. So I don't, I don't, I don't really, and I'm not, I'm not going to say this to myself, but there's a part of me that's not going to put that same effort forward. It's like a new toy. It's shiny and new. Yeah. You know, that new car smell is gone. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's absolutely right. So look at look at Proverbs chapter five because the Bible actually endorses this. 
for you young folks especially, this idea that romance is to go away over time, it goes away, that's, that's just wrong. That's just wrong. That means people who say they're not doing it right. They're not somebody you need to model. What you need to do is what Solomon says in Proverbs 5, in verse, drop down to verse 15. This is the same text here, the same text. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15, drink water from your own cistern. That's poetic language meaning be faithful to your spouse. Just be involved in a sexual relationship with the person you're supposed to be involved with, your spouse. Drink water from your own cistern and, from, and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, Strings of water in the streets. Again, poetic language, talking about sexual immorality. How are you supposed to be doing that? I'm supposed to be all over the place here. And then he says in verse 17, let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fount be blessed and rejoice. Notice that. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving high and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated. Some translations say... Be intoxicated. I like that better. Be intoxicated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? You see what Solomon is saying there? Keep your romance high. Be intoxicated with the love of your life. Being intoxicated, the idea there is that needs to be to, for the, to throughout the whole relationship. It doesn't stop after the honeymoon. You do it all the time. That right there is something we need to take to heart. We need to take that to heart. And this takes effort here. But why is Solomon saying that? Well, this is his solution to the first 13 verses. The first 13 verses is about sexual morality, going somewhere you shouldn't go. And Solomon says here in, in, in these verses, here's the solution. Be in love with your spouse. Have eyes only for your spouse. If you do that, you won't desire to go be somewhere and be with someone you don't have a right to be with. That's what Solomon is saying. This is a solution here. Keep your romance high, and that guards you against the temptation to be sexually immoral. You see that? Okay, that's a good one. That's good stuff there. I like that, Michelle. Great start here. That actually crosses one of mine off of my list, too. Anybody else have something, maybe something practical as to how we can... Oh, Melissa, you have something, ma'am. Go right ahead. Mine was remember your priorities. Oh, yes, priorities. Because your relationship is between you and your spouse and God. And if you remember that, just like they're, your, they're the other part of you. So if you are... Just as you take care of yourself and you take care of your needs and your wants and your desires, they're part of you. And it's the same thing. If you're constantly doing that and making sure that they're okay and that they're getting what they need and, and they're feeling loved and all the things, you know, then if you're keeping that a priority, then absolutely. it's not going to slip away. Well, absolutely. You know, as, as Christians, there are things that we should be prioritizing. First, our relationship with God, but right after that, according to the Scriptures, is our spouse. Um, our spouse, making sure they're where they're okay and we're giving them attention, that comes before the brethren. That comes before a job. That comes before school. That comes before the kids, even. Because the, kid, the kids will suck it out. They will suck it out. Absolutely. No, that's, that's fantastic, Lisa. I love that. Anybody else? Maybe one more here. 
Maybe somebody else got something else that was good, Lisa. I think, I know we're talking in the context of our own marriage. Yes, sir, go ahead. Marriage, but I think one of the biggest things we miss is, especially in the church, is that Solomon here is talking to his sons. And we, as parents, I know my father and mother failed miserably to talk to me about protecting my marriage and protecting myself against things like pornography. Yeah. Is we don't have those conversations because they're tough, because of our own failures, and because we don't know how. And so we don't have them. And yeah. protecting your marriage starts way before you get married. If you start focusing on this once you get married, you're too late. Mm-hmm. And, you're like probably in, and you're probably in a bunch of trouble. That is a fantastic thought. And I didn't even really shame on me when I even thinking of that. Because that is what Solomon is doing here. This is a dad talking to his kids, having those tough conversations with your kids. And sometimes we shy away from that. We don't want to talk with our kids about that stuff. But we have to. We, we, we got to talk to them about sex. got to talk to them about the dangers of pornography. You got to talk to them about these different things because if we don't talk to them about it and give it to them the right way from the Bible, who's going who's gonna to give it to them the wrong way? The world is. So it's best we get to them first. And Jake, I'm going to tell you something, man. And me and you talked about this before. And, and, you know, probably the need for parents to talk. And I remember when we had this conversation about a few months ago. I And Janice said, hey, I pulled my son aside. And we and we had that talk. And that's an uncomfortable talk. Yeah. And and all kind of questions come from them when you, when you yeah. talk about that. But that's good. Because I'm his daddy. And it's best he hear it from me than to get the wrong message from the world. And to always keep that door open even after we have that initial talk or those initial talks. If there's anything else, come to me. No shame here. this This is part of life and you need to get it right from a parent who's trying to serve the Lord, trying to help you serve the Lord and have a great marriage ultimately. So that's really good stuff. I have some other things I put on mine real quick and then we'll move on here. Good thoughts, everybody. Um, I put on here, and it stood out to me in the lesson about prayer. This is something we need to be praying about. And someone says, well, no, nah, I don't need to pray about this. It's not going to be a problem for me. Don't, don't fool yourself. Pride comes before the fall. You mean, we'll think, well, you know, I, I can't fall into a pitfall like this. The devil, he, he's always up for challenges, what he thinks is a challenge. So this is something you got to be praying about constantly, and praying with your spouse about constantly. God, please protect us, and lead us away from temptation, wherever it may be. This is something we need to be praying about every day with our spouse, that we'll be faithful to each other. Secondly, you got to guard your eyes. Job, a married man, we know that he's a married man. What did he say in Job 31, verse 1? He made a covenant with his eyes that he wouldn't gaze upon a virgin. Job's a blameless man, a man of God, and he had to make a covenant with his eyes. What do you think we got to do? We got to do the same thing. In fact, Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5, 27 and 28, he talks about, you know, this is such a serious thing that you might have to pluck out your eyes, cut off your hands, cut off your feet. He's not talking literally, but he is saying that whatever you got to do to guard yourself against sin, sexual sin, get it done. That may mean you can't have an iPad. That may mean you can't have a social media page. That may mean you can't have a computer. Or you can't have Netflix and HBO Max. That's too, that's too much for you. Whatever you got to do to guard yourself against sexual sin, get it done. 
Because nothing is worth losing your soul in hell. That's the point Jesus is making. I also put on my list, stay close. And by stay close, I mean this. Do what you have to do to keep yourself loyal to your spouse. This will mean, and speaking for me as a preacher, never being alone with women. Never alone with women. They don't like meeting in my office alone with women. Don't ride in the car alone with women. Don't do that. Don't ever be alone. It, it just, even though that's going to happen, it keeps everything above reproach. Does that make sense? Your spouse needs to have passwords to everything. To your, to your Facebook, your Instagram, whatever you got. To your cell phone, your email. The husband needs to have that, wife needs to have that. No secrets. Uh, you can check that anytime. You say has all my stuff. You can look at it anytime. Got nothing to hide. Uh, thirdly, communicate. You know, Don Truix, a good friend of mine, Brother Don Truix. Some of y'all know Brother Don Truix. He was talking about a time when he uh, was at the office working one day, and he went home to get lunch. He left his lunch, went home to get lunch. And his wife's a nurse. She was working, and they hired a lady to clean their house. And he goes by, and she's there. She's there, and he, uh, he just wants to grab his lunch and go back to the office and eat it. But he let his wife know about that. He let her know, hey, I'm here. She happens to be here the same time I am. Nothing's going on. Uh, and his wife didn't ask him to do that. She knows she has a faithful man, but it's, just, it's something he does. And he let her know, hey, I just grabbed my lunch. I'm going back to the office. That communication there. Commun no, no secrets. And, and I think that's good, you know. Don't be don't texting the opposite sex and keeping that a secret. Let, let your spouse in on that stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. <coughs> it keeps you close. That's important. And then, I did put Michelle's answer down. I told you that. But another one I put down, you want to put a fence up. Think about the consequences. It may seem like it's not a big deal. But there are consequences of sexual immorality. The consequences with your family. I know of young people who have no respect for a parent because that parent cheated on their mom or their daddy. They have no influence with them. They don't want nothing to do with them. I got people like that in my own family. It hurt. It can hurt your influence with your kids, with your grandkids. It can hurt another family. I've known of people in the church who have not only destroyed their families with sexual immorality, they destroyed another family. They, they tore up another family. They, they led to a divorce in another family, kids being separated in another family. You know, all kind of just hard stuff. People leaving the Lord. You don't just affect yourself and your family, you affect another family. And then it hurts your influence. You try to win souls for God, right? That's our job to shine our light. You think we're shining our light when people know we're not faithful to our spouse? Who are we going to win for the Lord doing that? Who are we going to be, who are we going to be able to successfully have a Bible study with or invite the church even if they know we do that kind of stuff? And then the most important thing is you hurt God. Now, I'm not saying you can't be forgiven for sexual morality. Of course you can. You ask God to forgive you, he'll forgive you. You cheat on your spouse, will God forgive you? Yes. Get involved in pornography, you repent, will God forgive you? Yes. But does that not mean you still can't have consequences in this life? David had consequences for his immorality, did not. His kids were going to be all messed up. 
It's going to be all kinds of conflict he was about to deal with. His name got ruined in the world. There are consequences, even though God will forgive us. There are, there are earthly consequences to, to this. So those are some things to think about there. Let's now move on and talk about the why. You know, why is this so important? You know, we spent a whole class talking about this. Why is it important that we put forth the effort to always protect ourselves in our marriages? What, what do y'all think about that? Maybe some things you've seen, maybe experiences you've seen with in the church or things like that. Why is this such an important thing for us to constantly guard ourselves against the pitfall of immorality? Yes, ma'am. Um, I would say because it's idolatry. Mm. Explain more, please. Um, because, I mean, when you're, because God is, he wants you to have a monogamous relationship with him. He's the only God. He's the one true God. And so when you're, you know, when you have multiple partners or you're sitting around and all that, then obviously... You put something above God. Yeah, yep. you put something above God, but I mean, it's also a physical um, portrayal yes. of uh, how you've given up God for... Another God. Idol. Yeah, yes. Yeah, I like that a lot. And I, that's very good. In fact, you got me thinking, Allison, about uh, even polygamy. You brought up monogamous, but in the Old Testament, people say, what about all the polygamy? You know, Solomon had a lot of wives. He brought that up. David had a lot of wives, did he not? Abraham had a few. He had a concubine. So, and then Jacob. What about Jacob and all his wives? Well, I'll say this. When I look at that stuff in the Old Testament, I believe that the reason why God may have allowed that stuff for a time, and I'm not even sure God even allowed that. I think when you read the Old Testament carefully, there are passages that lead us to believe that God was against kings, especially having multiple wives, but they did it anyway. And what do we see from that? Does anybody ever look at people with multiple partners in the Old Testament and say, man, that worked out pretty good. <laughs> wow, we're missing out. Do you see that with anybody? When you, do you see that with Jacob? Do you see a man who's happy? And like, wow, this is it right here. You guys with one spouse. Woo, y'all missing it. His man was, I had all kind of chaos. People were competing. Spouses competing with each other. You saw it with Abraham. You see it with uh, David. It's all over the place. So that stuff is given to us in the Old Testament to show us this is what happens when you go against God's will. You have problems. See, God's will, God's law, doesn't just help us go to heaven. But it helps us live happy lives now. You live a happy life now. Yes, Lisa. So when you have your your loving spouse, you do you have peace and you have comfort and you have joy and but I can't, like all the examples are there is so much heartache yes. and pain and suffering and stress and, and yes. And just, and I, Tom was joking, so I can barely handle one. I can't remember. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Imagine the time involved. Yeah. Or if there's not time involved, then the anger and the stress and the thing that's coming from all of that, because they aren't getting this time. You're, no. I can't even. Now, you're asking for problems. So, yeah. Because the way God designed this is for one person to have another, all their love. Exactly. And Solomon got his love going all over the place. And that's not, and that leads to resent. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yes, Nathan, real quick, and then I'm coming to you next week. Um, so, 
you mentioned how um, there was division between Jacob's wives. Um, there was also division between his sons, though, mm -hmm. because all of the the kids of the um, Joseph was the favorite because he was the son of Jacob's favorite, and then all the others were aware of that and resented him. Resented him. It led to division, not just between the wives, but between the kids. That's a great point. Yes, Elise. Yes, ma'am. Well, I mean, I'm not saying it from here, but I've seen it in churches where there was a culture between two families in the church. So um, I've seen it. It's not just hurting you. It's not just hurting your spouse. It's also hurting your kids. It's also hurting, like you said before, it's hurting that other church. It hurts the whole church. It does. As well, so if that's something like you were saying with consequences, you gotta think, okay, how many people am I gonna hurt here? Because you're gonna be hurting your parents. You're gonna be hurting your in-laws, especially because from Sunday you were saying, you know. The whole story of he's not treating my baby right, or right, right. she's not treating my baby right. You're, and those are never gonna forget that. Right. No, I think that's a good point. So what I get from what your comment is, it's an act of selfishness. Whenever we're not faithful to our spouse, whether it is with a full-blown affair, pornography, go down the list, we're being selfish. And that's what sin is at the end of the day. Not just this, but any sin. It's the idea of, hey, who cares what God says? Who cares who I'm going to hurt? I want It's what I want right now. It's going to make me feel good. It's selfishness. And so you think about, you were talking about impacting the church. 1 Corinthians 5, Paul talks about that. When that man who was in immorality with his stepmother, it appears, this was impacting the whole church. That's why Paul says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And y'all got to do something about this. So, why is this important? I put down, number one, your influence. As Christians, our influence is one of the most important things we have. We cannot do evangelism successfully without good Christian influence. Jesus says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. And then, they want to glorify the fathers in heaven. Can't do evangelism without first shining your light. That's where it starts. And when we are immoral, and that is exposed, and it usually always is, we hurt the cause of God. We hurt evangelism. We hurt our kids, as y'all said. And think about this. Think about people who are married to an unbeliever. You thought about that? You're married to an unbeliever. You're a Christian. You're unfaithful to your spouse. You're not doing what 1 Peter 3, 7 says. You have any success winning your unbelieving spouse? All kind of damage. We brought up him hurting the church, hurting your own soul. Don't forget this. If you don't take anything else away tonight, take this. You can't be right with God and wrong in your marriage. You can't be right with God and wrong in your marriage. Doesn't work. There's a lot of things involved being right with God. And for those of us who are married, or if you're single, part of that is being pure. And holy. Before you go to bed tonight, just do a word study of holiness in the Bible. You know, we, we and I've been guilty of this. We talk about Leviticus, say, oh my goodness, who wants to stay Leviticus? Leviticus is an important book. You know why? Because the book's all about holiness, it's all about being holy. 
And the New Testament talks about this a lot, being holy. We can't be holy and be sexually immoral. That's not going to work. And so I wanted to conclude by talking about blessings. You know, we talked about some practical things up with some here, uh, and there's a list in your book there. But there are blessings to being faithful to your spouse. One of them is this. It mirrors the relationship Jesus has with the church. Ephesians chapter 5, the blessings of this, and I'll just put this down. Ephesians 5, you look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22, and I think that goes to, if I'm not mistaken, to, uh, what's the, how many verses in there? 22 down to 30, was it? Look at Ephesians 5 for me, someone, please. It starts at verse 22, goes down to about, what, is it 35 verses in there? 33. 33, okay. Alright, that section there, Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, is about marriage, but the big thing going on there is the relationship that Jesus has with his bride, the church. That's really what Paul is talking about there. And his point there is our marriages should mirror that. So what Jesus does for his church is what we should be doing for our spouses. And is Jesus unfaithful to his bride, the church? Does Jesus have multiple brides? No, Jesus has one bride, and he's faithful, and he's loyal, and he's sacrificial. And he's willing to put the needs of his bride before his own needs. So when we are faithful to our spouses, we are mirroring the relationship that Jesus has with his bride. And that's the way God wants it to be. That's the way God wants it to be. Another thing I put on here, and some of y'all brought this up already. One of the blessings of being faithful is it spares a lot of heartache. I have seen as a preacher this happen over and over again. I've seen it happen to elders. I've seen it happen to deacons. I've really seen it happen to preachers. And and just, you know, ordinary Christians. You know, in how how immorality, infidelity destroys so many different things. So many people are hurt. Wives, husbands, elders, young people, a community. But when you're faithful, you, you spare a, a lot of that heartache. You, you don't hurt your spouse. You don't hurt your kids. You don't hurt your local congregation. You keep your influence. You also, I'll put this on here, I'll just put oneness. You maintain oneness. That's important. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul talks about sexual immorality. He's telling the Corinthians to flee sexual immorality. And he says part of the problem with that is you become one with someone you're not supposed to become one with. You become one with the prostitute. And I've told you this before and I'll tell you again. I believe this is probably the main reason why Jesus allows this exception in Matthew 19 and verse 9. Because the immoral person breaks the oneness. They break that because they become one with someone else through the sexual relationship. But when you are just drinking from your own cistern, as Solomon says, you're maintaining that oneness. When your eyes are just locked in on your spouse, you're maintaining that oneness. When you're just close with your spouse, you're maintaining that oneness. That oneness is important to God. It's so important. And immorality breaks that. It breaks it. 
Now, does that mean that your spouse can't forgive you and keep going? Sure. But let's just be honest. Things are usually not going to be the same. It's hard to make it the same again because that trust is broken. And then another thing I want to say about this, this is the main thing. It glorifies God. And isn't that what we want to do as Christians? We want to glorify God. What does Paul say also in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31? And all that we do, let's do it to the glory of God. As a Christian, I want to glorify God, not just in my work as a preacher, but in every part of my life. So I want to glorify Him and the kind of brother in Christ I am to you. I want to glorify Him in the kind of son I am. In the kind of husband I am, in the kind of father I am, in the kind of citizen of America that I am. I want to glorify God in every aspect of my life. That should be the goal of a Christian, right? We need to remember that. Whenever we find ourselves in a tempting situation, you you somebody from high school that you dated sends you a friend request and your heart starts to flutter. Ask yourself, is this wise? Is this going to help me glorify God? You find yourself in a situation where you're getting too close to somebody in the church. Stop and ask yourself, hey, where is this going to go? Where could this go? Let me stop this. There's a lot of people involved here that I could hurt. Ask yourself questions all the time. Ask yourself questions. Find yourself looking at something you're supposed to be looking at. Okay, my spouse can't see what I'm doing, but God sees. How does God feel about this? Got to ask yourself them kind of questions. Help put fences up. And so here's my final thing to say to you very quickly. Here's a little homework. No homework you got to turn into me, but just something you could do if you want to. I think it would be good to maybe before you go to bed tonight, do a few things with your spouse. It won't take long. Maybe you rehearse your courtship. Just kind of rehearse that a little bit. Remember when we were dating? Now, it probably was maybe it was a long time ago. What, what were we doing? What, what made us fall for each other? Let's, let's talk about that. 